0: Hello, and welcome to the Boston University Center on Forced Displacement podcast, a podcast highlighting interdisciplinary research, discussion, and education about forced displacement, one of the major moral imperatives of our time. Today, I'm joined by Selma Hiedlund, a postdoc research fellow with the CFD. Selma is a sociologist and qualitative researcher with a background in community organizing and refugee integration. Her research focuses on immigration and displacement, both as it pertains to immigrants and asylum seekers and indigenous peoples. She's just come on in November, and we're so excited to have her on the team. So, Selma, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Yay, and I hear this is your first experience on a podcast. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So it's uh, it's exciting on multiple levels. (laughs) Good. Well, hopefully this will be the start of many more. Yeah, hopefully awesome so yeah i'd love if you could just fill us in a little bit more about your how your path kind of brought you to forced displacement and how you know you made your way over now to cfd yeah um so
1: when i i was a kid in sweden growing up um i was interested in issues related to social justice not really sure where to channel that at the time um i applied to this program for college uh called the human rights studies program at Lund University in Southern Sweden. And in Sweden we don't really have like majors in that sense. It's more like you decide ahead of time what program you're gonna do. Um and that's the one that I picked. Uh and I thought it was really, really interesting. It was very interdisciplinary. You got to grapple with, you know, philosophy, law, um, sociology among other uh, disciplines. Um, we had so many different professors come in and teach. So that was really, really interesting. Um, and we also wrote these theses, um, which I don't know if that was a common thing for, for just our program or, or Sweden in general, but I do think in Sweden in general, we do that a bit more where as an undergrad, you get to undertake your own research project. Um it's quite, sort of like an exercise in how to sort of complete the process, like to close the circle, start with a research question and finish it. So when I did that, I met uh, an American professor who was a sociologist, and she really got me interested in sociology and thinking more about like interpersonal perspectives and how inequalities are produced um, in different ways, as opposed to you know human rights, which is more of like a legal framework for how to enact them, which can be kind of abstract. So I really like the sort of the nitty gritty of sociology in that sense. Um, and I got to do some international research with her. Um, we went to the US for my bachelor's honors thesis, which was, you know, the last paper that I wrote um as a part of me graduating with my bachelor's. And um this was just really, really a fantastic experience for an undergrad and kind of like an aspiring scholar, if you will. Um, and that project was about indigenous peoples and popular culture and how they're portrayed and how movies such as avatar and twilight maybe serve to romanticize but also erase real native experiences today um and that's kind of where it started i think like sort of me getting a taste for coming to the u.s and learning from people in the u.s sweden is a really small country um and so the u.s was just very exciting for me um and coming back from there Um, I knew that I wanted to to find a way to go back, and a way of doing that was to go for a master's program. So um, I applied for Fulbright, which I encourage everyone to do. (laughs) Um, I did that and I was able to go, um, and when I was um, at Columbia for my master's, um, I became interested in belonging and citizenship, um, and I did a paper on how immigrants view American citizenship and the reasonings behind deciding to naturalize and when I was done with that, I kind of thought, well what's going on at home And this was around the time when the Syrian Civil War broke out um, and so I went home and I started working in um, refugee resettlement and I did that for um, for a little bit over a year in the Swedish countryside. I'm from the countryside myself so it wasn't, Um, that foreign to me to, to do that, but it was sort of a big contrast going from, from New York to this tiny town where I lived in a house by myself with two cats that were part of the deal (laughs) for me renting it. And that was also a fantastic experience. It made me think more about refugee resettlement issues, not just the practicalities of resettlement, which might include, you know, jobs, housing, these things, but also social integration and how you can combat uh, segregation on a social or cultural level. Um, This program was kind of about creating connections between the local community and refugees. Um, And while I was doing that, I still missed academia, I guess. So then I decided to pursue a PhD program in the US. And then I came to Boston to do my PhD here in sociology. And I just graduated this spring and Mm -hmm. now I'm here at uh, the Center for Forces Displacement.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that was a long story. No, I mean it's it's a long long journey, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Something that I've been thinking a bit about is like I don't know. You mentioned that like you when you were younger you were an aspiring scholar, and I think mm. something really cool about your experience and a lot of experiences with like research universities is the opportunity to like work with like really accomplished, awesome people and kind of feeling like, oh my gosh, like am I worthy of like getting to like be like mentored by this person, you know, like you. And so was there ever a point where you were like, okay, I was an aspiring scholar, like I have made it. I mean, you never really know what you're doing. I think
1: (laughs) that feeling like never really goes away, but it is really nice to feel seen by someone that you respect and admire. Um, and it is very nice to have someone that you might find in the beginning intimidated, like a professor can be very intimidating when you're an undergrad, and to have someone uh, take the time to work with you and work through your ideas with you, and to really be invested in, in
0: you growing. Yeah. I don't know I feel like what I've heard and what I felt sometimes in research or in a lot of different like fields within universities is like we're we're learning and we're in the classroom and then all of a sudden we're like out of the classroom and we're like wait (laughs) do I know how to do this yeah (laughs) and so it's really cool to like have it sounds like having a mentor having someone to help you um because now here you are living in the U.S. yeah and you're doing it, aspiring scholar turned scholar. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I mean, it was really, really special, like looking back. So when this happened, when she asked me if I wanted to go to the US to do research with her, I was in the middle of a semester and I had coursework and stuff. So she basically talked to my professors and said that, hey, like, I think it would be a cool opportunity for Selma to go with me. She can um, do some training while she's there, because the classes that I was currently taking were methods classes um and which we take to prepare for you know doing these theses which are kind of small dissertate, tiny dissertations if you will or research projects um and they were like you know what she's gonna learn better in the field than in this classroom so we're gonna let her go that's so nice and that was yeah there was a lot of people that had faith and supported um that kind of unusual
0: um approach um but it was really really fun yeah. So as someone who like was kind of diving into the world of research, what made you go back to Sweden and then kind of take on that role as like a community organizer? Um,
1: so my role as a community organizer, that was sort of after my my master's program, after I graduated. Um, and I think I felt that in order to do good research moving forward, I need to have worked in another role. I need to... Um, Have worked in a grassroots organization i don't think i've ever really felt that academia on its own uh, gives a very holistic picture of of reality or at least i'll say this uh an academic or a scholar is always enriched by any experience
0: that they have outside of academia i firmly believe that that's it's interesting that you've spent kind of time bouncing between you know like the rural more community focused settings and like very urban academic spheres like what is kind of like that how is like the experience i guess supplemented each other like you said of like needing for yourself to be in both spheres to kind of enrich both
1: Mm -hmm. i mean that's a difficult question that i kind of grapple with myself um again i grew up in a really really small town and i always kind of wanted to leave that place (laughs) growing up like it's it wasn't necessarily somewhere that i felt like i fit in very well Um, But at the same time, every time I go to, like, a big city uh, or an urban space, I don't necessarily belong there either. Um, I do think that there needs to be so much more work done um, in rural areas. And I think as someone who works with refugees or even indigenous peoples, a lot of those populations are in the countryside. Um, And it's kind of then maybe surprising that... um, maybe that research isn't uplifted more Mm -hmm. or maybe it's just because I've been at universities that are very urban that maybe those types of of of, um, research perspectives aren't as highlighted
0: yeah no I mean that is interesting to kind of think about the spaces in which researchers typically aren't you know physically in yeah Um, and I'm wondering like about impact, I guess, both on yourself and on kind of your greater community as a researcher, as a community organizer. Like, you know, impact is probably something you think about. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, because I'm assuming, you know, when you're working directly with people, you can kind of see that impact more on your day-to-day life versus as a researcher, like, you're coming up with some sort of deliverable, I guess you can call it, to present Mm -hmm. how does that impact compare um with your experiences i mean that's also a very very good question like what is a deliverable
1: like what is impact and how do we measure impact i know as a community organizer um for this project in sweden the what we wanted to achieve was to create more social connections and expand networks across cultural groups and across ethnic groups and across um, the local inha- inhabitants and the people that were newly settled in this area and one way we just very like easily sort of measured this was how many people have we put together because <laughs> that was kind of it was kind of like a matching uh, project, which is really interesting. so we would you know count okay, how many people have we put in touch with each other that we think have things in common um, but at the same time people can meet and they might not remain friends. so I think in that project, what was the most measurable was to see the people that had been set up by us or by me because it was just me working (laughs) in the project it was just me um to then see their friendship like really blossom to see these people spend holidays in each other's homes to have their their kids play together for them to laugh together and cry together like some of these people really became Mm. very very close friends
0: And sorry, who were like, what kind of people were you linking up?
1: Yeah. So uh, so this was, again, during the Syrian civil war. So so Sweden took, I think, per capita or it was one of the countries that per capita took most refugees in all of Europe from Syria. Germany was obviously the biggest receiver country in terms of um, individuals or numbers, but per capita Sweden took took a lot of people. Um, And so they were resettled in different small towns. they were placed in certain communities by the Migration Board, the Swedish Migration Board. Um, and these small towns or municipalities then had a responsibility to integrate them or take care of them. Um, and some then selected to have this sort of like extra level of integration, which was sort of social integration on top of um, labor market integration and housing and things like that. So, so that's why this town brought me on to, to do that for them. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'm referring to kind of refugees and people that were longtime inhabitants of this town, that sometimes were ethnically Swedes or white Swedes, and sometimes maybe other uh, immigrant groups that had been there for generations. So in academic settings, when we do collaborative work or community organizing work, we still need to have some kind of deliverable. And usually the best way to do that kind of work um, is to have Very much like an ongoing conversation about it about what parties want to get out of the collaboration and sometimes you could have an agreement up front saying that you know this party the research party perhaps carries out this research that research um helps write a report with certain maybe data points that the community partner finds useful perhaps so it's really really important that you talk to the community partner about what is it that they're looking to get out of the collaboration. Is it a report? Is it a one pager? Is it like, could it be a documentary film? Could it be something else? And to to sort of see what is it that we can do for you? And do you need those things? Or what do you need from us? Um, But it's a very tricky thing, community collaborations. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah. But uh, communication's key.
0: And I guess in terms of like, I guess maybe this is coming from someone who's not a researcher and who doesn't understand this realm of like you're directly impacting people when you're matching someone like a refugee up with someone who's been living in the community and Mm -hmm. watching that impact and watching that like you said like friendship blossom when you're as a researcher creating a documentary or creating a one page whatever you like a one page what did you call it a one pager a one pager when you're creating a one pager (laughs) yeah um who are you expecting to read Mm, Arguments.
1: Mm-hmm. So usually, um, the community partner may have someone in mind, it can be local government, it can be the mayor, it can be media. Um, sometimes if they're struggling to get their message across, uh, sometimes academics have a different reach or, or adding academic research to their argument helps them amplify their voice and their message. So it is whoever they want to reach in order to cause social change usually. Yeah. So it can be a variety of
0: of um, audiences. Okay. That was super helpful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, do you see yourself staying more in research, community organizing, bouncing back and forth? What do you Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I have been bouncing back and forth, so maybe I'll I'll keep doing that. Um I I do welcome the fact that I think academia seems to have moved a little bit more towards a collaborative direction um academia is becoming a bit more inclusive i would like to say maybe in the last few years or at least there's been um an expression of, of academia wanting to be more inclusive and that's that's a hard thing to to be because it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of work um but I don't know. It's such a hard question. Yeah. I really don't know if I want to stay in academia. And right now, I know I'm still in an academic position. But what I love about the Center of Forces Placement is that it is so collaborative, right? So if my postdoc was purely academic in the sense that I would just be sitting alone, and only working on academic papers and not really engaging with communities, maybe that would not be a good fit for me. But I don't know, this is just another example of, of more and more places maybe popping up that that are collaborative with, with activists or local advocates and the arts, um, and also international. I think we can learn so much from each other. Um, so maybe academia is changing. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering what you mean more when you say like inclusive, like Mm is academia is becoming more inclusive, what does that mean?
1: Um, I don't know. Maybe there's like a stereotypical person that, Some people may have in mind of the academic who kind of, you know, comes up with their own research question, goes out, extracts whatever information they need to get that answer um, and then publishes something and then puts it on their CV. And they're they're not necessarily mindful of who am I getting this information from? Um, What do they think about um, the research question that I'm asking? Is there something that's more relevant to them? Um, What do I take from the community and what do I give back? Um, So when I say inclusive, um, I think about a way to produce knowledge that is not just, you know, conceived of uh, in this ivory tower, but more um, grassroots approach to to producing knowledge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't know, I just love like hearing your story like about just – bouncing between so many different things and getting to do and experience so many different things as an academic, as a researcher, as a community organizer. Yeah, it brings me a lot of excitement for my postgrad. of like, wait, the world's my oyster. I could do what I want. It is.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really um, is. I mean, yeah, looking back on it, maybe it is a lot. It doesn't always feel like it in the moment, but
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you said, yeah, you're here for at CFD for two years for your mm-hmm. postdoc. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. so exciting. Yes, yeah. Um, what are you like hoping to do? What are you looking
1: to accomplish while you're here? I mean, again, I'm looking for collaborations, because I think when you write your dissertation, it's such a lonely job. Mm -hmm. And I know it depends on discipline. But in sociology, you write your dissertation basically on your own. Um, So you conceive of this massive project that you then carry out by yourself. And it can be a very lonely experience. So I was like really craving community when I got out of it. And So I would love to do research together with other scholars and obviously also communities. Um, um, I'm thinking of building out a portion of my dissertation, which was about migration industries, which I think is really fascinating. Um, So I want to build out that part, um, hopefully, and take part in all these other exciting projects going on at the center that are not just academic.
0: I know, I can't wait. Yeah, (laughs) me too. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so happy to have you on the team. and I'm so happy to be part of the team. For more information on the new ideas, technologies, scholarship, awareness, and solution identification happening at Boston University's Center on Forced Displacement, go check out the website www.bu.edu slash cfd which will also be linked in the description. This podcast is produced by Boston University's Center on Forced Displacement in collaboration with all members of the team.